welcome back to another episode. Today's was a doozy with a dear friend of mine who is the queen of money. She helps you stop the bleeding and start stacking cash. And I have an unlimited amount of notes, but I'm going to give you a preview of some of them so far. How she had a professional job of reading Twilight and playing Mario Kart. Do you have a sexy budget? What if your problem is not a top line revenue problem? How having money junk is like having a butthole. <laughs> How you have two main roles in your business. Are you building your business on free labor? Uh, your revenue does not move your lifestyle. Do you know how to manage yourself through scarcity? Don't make business decisions with jam hands, which one of the ones I love. Have you taken your emotional temperature lately? Some incredible books to recommend. Capitalizing and mastering cash flow and money in your business. And an amazing question to ask yourself about making things easy. So that will hopefully do an overview of the podcast. This is going to be part one of two. Because in part two, we're going to come back and answer your specific questions. But part one is ready for you. So without further ado, here's the intro. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast, where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George show. And this is a very long awaited podcast, one that I have been waiting to do because today's guest I've known for many, many years. And I feel like she could have gone one of two ways. She could have had a career in stand-up comedy or entrepreneurship. And what I love is she melds them both together. So we have the woman today who helps people stop bleeding and start stacking cash, who has so much fun talking about her husband, Mike Sedano, which we're probably gonna hear about a hundred times today but really helps entrepreneurs and everybody develop a healthy relationship with money, have a good mindset, and really make a massive difference and empower people to utilize money as a tool. And so I am so stoked to have my dear friend Bree on the show. So Bree, welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. I hope I'm, um, I'm going to be funny enough. It's like money's kind of a dry topic. So sometimes I feel like people just need to be a little extra generous with the chuckles. I feel like nothing is dry in your world. Like the fact that you even say like, I hope I'm going to be funny. I feel like it's a good edge for you to have because you're so humble about hilarious you are. But every time you've ever been to one of my events or we've ever spent time together or been on calls, the only person I ever want to give the microphone to and I will just sit back with a bag of popcorn is you. Like I could just listen to you talk all day. So I feel like we're going to be good. All right. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. We're here for it. I'm here for it too. So just to paint the picture and give some context for people, how the hell did you end up in this world of helping people stop the bleeding, stacking cash? And like, give me kind of like the overview of like Bree Sedano, like how you end up living in Connecticut, married to Mike Sedano, who has an epic wizardly beard to helping women and entrepreneurs do this thing. Yeah. So uh, after school, I went and I decided that I was going to work in the nonprofit sector, doing very important things at my local Boys and Girls Club. And um, I loved that job. I loved, I loved working there. There was a while where I was the team director, which meant I was reading Twilight and playing Mario Kart professionally with, you know, the neighborhood children. And um, at that point, I loved my job so much that I decided to teach myself how to trade stock options to be able to like afford to eat food and continue to work at the Boys and Girls Club. 
Um, and then at some point later, I'd outgrown. I mean, I, I, it stopped being fun. I was, I was working as the executive director. It was very serious. It was very boring. There was budgets and funding and like all sorts of just like less, less cool stuff. So I remember one day I was whining to my mom and she was like, Brian, that's my whole name. I don't ever, you don't, you don't ever see that professionally, but she said that the entire thing. And she was like, you taught yourself how to trade stock options. Go, go take your series seven and be a financial advisor. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And she was like, listen, my grandfather was a stockbroker. My uncles are stockbrokers. My aunts were bankers. My mom worked at Wall Street. And so like, I, so when she said that, I was like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Thanks. Thanks mom. And so I got a job with Edward Jones and I got all my credentials, my series seven, my six to six on my insurance licenses. And I was like, ready to go, highly credentialed financial advisor. And I was doing okay. And what I found was my clients were coming to see me and they were not telling me like, Brie, I have so much extra money. Help me diversify this portfolio, lady. They're like, dude, I make a couple hundred grand a year and I have $26 in my checking account. Like, what's wrong with me? Or like, Brie, these, these credit cards are from my first ex-husband. I'm on my third husband. What am I doing wrong? You know, or... My kids are about to go to college and I'm still paying on my own student loans. And so I started giving my clients budgets, like sexy budgets, budgets. Like if spreadsheets do it for you, you would have, you would have been strangely aroused by my, by the spreadsheets that I was providing these clients. And then they would come back to my office and they'd be like, tell me about your budget. And they'd be like, yeah, we didn't do it. <laughs> didn't do it. And I was like, no, like, no. And so I tried that with a, with a few clients and then the, uh, I started working with them on their habits, which worked better than just giving somebody a budget. And then that, uh, then I found out about mindset. And so I went to a Tony Robbins seminar and started reading some books about mindset. And I was like, that works way better if we include that with the habits. And then we added in emotional intelligence because money's got like a lot of feelings associated with it. And so when you add up a plan, habits, mindset, emotional intelligence, and a community, like game changer. Like your relationship with money is just way different. And so as I started doing that, I really love it. Like I love doing cash flow work. It's the nerd. I mean, it's, I'm a giant nerd, but I really feel like it's one of the most helpful things that, um, that you can do. And a lot of the, the advice that's out there, a lot of like the, the wisdom, the commonly accepted, you know, stuff about money is, uh, it's not, not psychologically like congruent with the way that humans behave. And so it doesn't work for most people. And so I was like, all right, let me just make this up so that way it works for people in the way that mental accounting works. And uh, that's, that's what Sheep to Shark does. And actually today is Sheep to Shark's five-year. Um, today. It's, it's today. Today is, I got the reminder on my phone. Today was, today's my, my fifth year in business birthday. Fifth year in business birthday. So we're celebrating a birthday of Sheep to Shark today. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I don't do, do you get a business, a present, a cupcake? I wasn't sure um, what to do, but I did make an, I did make a note on my phone for next year. So I wouldn't forget. Okay. Okay. Are you going to get yourself like a cupcake? Probably. Um, yeah. This lady doesn't deny herself many cupcakes, to be honest, George. Okay. Well, when we're done, because you've known me long enough, I'm going to put you in my special customer journey bucket and I'm, I'm going to hit you up. I got you. I got you. Right. I got you. So when you talk about, I have a lot of questions to break down on that one and all heavenly ones that I can't wait to hear. But when you talk about like cash flow management, can you break that down? So like layman's terms, like what do you mean by cash flow management? Yeah, it's so what money needs to go where and why pretty much. And so 
there's a lot of priorities that we have pressing on us and you know and we live in america we live in an abundant world like literally everything that you could ever want is pretty readily available to you from your phone and so it's learning to really use your money as a tool to get you the life that you want you know if that's really where cash like that's like the the super high level look at cash flow management is like all right, well, these are my resources and how am I going to make the life that I want out of these? Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you broke that down because like, I've been, I feel old right now because I was just about to say, oh, I've been doing this for the last like 14 years. And I wanted to change that because I don't want to feel so old because I'm young. That's why I wear pink glasses. But I feel like one of the common things that I see so much in entrepreneurship is this unhealthy relationship with the top line. Like, the only way to solve my problems is to make more, right? If I add another 100 grand, if I add another 500 grand, if I add another million, right? But if you want to get into the personal development world, they get a different number in the bank account, but the same result. And so when you start talking about mindset with money, like what are some of the things that you have people focus on? Because I know you see that all the time. And, and, and it's one of the things that I've yet still figured out how to coach unless I do like an intervention on somebody's life. And I was like, no, no, no. If you add more money into a bleeding bucket, you're going to still end up with the same $26 in your check account on your third ex-husband and not know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will also confess I've totally played that game. I've last year, last year I made so much money and I, and I still wasn't profitable. I mean, <laughs> I was like, this is, you know, and I just thought, I was like, if I could just work out this revenue thing. And so I played the game too. I just want to admit that to everybody because, um, me too. Well, uh, mostly because pretty much everybody that you know has money junk, just so you know. And so if you're like, oh, I think it's me and it's embarrassing, it's like uh, having a butthole. Like we all have a butthole. We all are like, it's true. And so if you have money, you probably have some money, money junk. Um, yeah, so that, oh, I, had, so to write, some I the, had to write that down. I just wrote in my notes, butthole, and I'll remember what it is later for when I do the intro to the show. But that's like, this is why I love you. But go ahead, break it down, break. All right. So there's some, some things that it's really just more about focus. Mm -hmm. So it's less of a mindset issue. And it's more of just where you're putting your focus. So if all of your focus is going on that top line, what it does is it creates some urgency that's probably not there uh, in real life. Like you're going to be like, oh, I need to do this to get this to work. Um, and urgency typically makes a lot of our decision making a little bit wonky. So it's really about starting to put your focus where it. So the top line revenue is obviously important. And that's very likely going to be a key indicator in your business. But you also want to be tracking your expenses and you also want to be tracking your profitability. And still, when we get too obsessed with that top line revenue, a lot of the things that we like stop focusing on is generally going to be around the profit and about the salary or about the, the amount that we pay ourselves. And as you grow, you know, like up until six figures, we can be real scrappy. You know, like there's a there's a certain badge of honor that even comes with that. It's we put this stuff on our own credit cards or you know, we're not necessarily going, you know, with your five or six, barely six, you know, your newly six figure business, you're probably not going to go out and like get capital. You're not going to be taking out loans. You're going to be funding your business through not paying yourself for a minute. And then with your credit cards um, until you get to the place where then you start really like making money and then you can, can work on those things. 
But once we start to scale that, uh, that paying yourself becomes critical. Like this is one of the most important things that I teach people, which really plays into this, this question. It seems like it doesn't exactly answer, but it really does. Um, so paying yourself, it's like, as it, is, is business owners, we want to really be looking at, at our role in the business is kind of twofold. So we have our, our, the work that we provide in our business, you know, we want to look at ourselves like we're obviously still owner, but that work should be paid for as like an employee, right? Like here I am doing, I mean, I'm doing this podcast today and I'm going to, I'm going to need to be paid for this, right? Like, um, through the, through my business. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, when I do sales calls or when I do, you know, create content, all of that is, is work that I'm doing as an employee in my own business, right? And so that all needs to be compensated for. So when we focus too hard on that top line revenue where we're still not paying ourselves, what we do is we build a business that's that's weak because we're we're building it on free labor. Does that make so it's a really um that's really a thing. So the the places that you want to focus are gonna be your profit, making sure that you have money set aside for taxes and like improvements to your business, like working capital, like you know, one of the things I love to spend money on is being in a high-end mastermind. That's one of the things that I love to do. I feel like I get so much out of it, but they're never small purchases. You know, and it's not like, it's not like a couple hundred dollars a month. Like they're, they're, and as I've grown, the masterminds that I've been in have grown and somehow they always charge me a little bit more than the last one. You know, like it's like a trick. I don't know exactly how it happens. Um, but so anyways, if, if we move our focus to our profitability, our savings, and the, the amount that we pay ourselves, and then the distribution that we're going to be able to take, that's really the thing that moves your lifestyle. Like your revenue does not move your lifestyle. It's, it's your salary, it's your profitability, your distributions that move your lifestyle. So those are the things to kind of like just reframe and shift around. Yeah, like one of the things that you said that is like so prevalent, like the, the free labor concept. Right. Like I, I, I realized that a lot of people like all of us, myself, you like we bootstrapped to six figures, seven figures and beyond. Uh, but I, I, I definitely learned those lessons, like two big, giant mistakes that I made in the very beginning is number one, I treated my business account like it was my personal bank account. Um, yep. Yep. I, your face tells me everything I need to know about that one. Right. So when oh, yeah, that's- my, my first year in entrepreneurship, uh, my first ever digital product made about a billion dollars. It was, it was actually more of a curse than it was a blessing because I didn't know anything, nothing. And so the tax man comes knocking at the end of the year and he's like, December 30th, you owe us $220,000. And I was like, I have $11,000 in my bank account, right? Because I, I didn't understand that game. And then when I got out of that hole, I reshifted my focus to, I just have to grow the top line. I just have to grow the top line. But I was working like 20 hours a day I was in what Alex Sharfman calls full constraint because there was this false sense of almost scarcity and urgency that was in there because I didn't understand how the game worked. And so earlier we talked about that urgency, right? Like I feel like a lot of the times it still happens to me. It happened fuck four weeks ago, right? To where like everything's coasting, we're in flow and then something happens and I get put on full emotional tilt. And then I'm like making rash emotional decisions. I'm like, okay, how can I pull a million dollars out of my ass in the next two days? Right. And it starts to like break the game. And so like, what are some of the things that you coach people or help people on to get them number one, like grounded and to focus on what matters? All right. So one of the most important things that you can do is to learn how to identify scarcity when it's in your body. 
So like that feeling where, where George just said he's on full emotional tilt, that place is a risky, risky place to be making decisions from. So if, I, if there's, we could talk about this. And if this is one thing that you're going to take from our talk today, it's learning to manage yourself through scarcity. Because the thing about scarcity is that there's no amount of mindset work that is going to get rid of scarcity for you. Um, and I say that I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed in myself because I could probably charge so much more if I could actually get rid of it for people. But the thing is, is if your brain is working, your brain is going to notice scarcity because to your body, it is the threat of starvation. So that that's why that emit like that full on panicky fight or flight response happens when like you just get a bill. You know what I mean? Like, like a $220,000 tax bill is actually not an immediate threat to your literal safety, but it will cause that full on amygdala response because your brain is like, oh, holy, holy, holy. And you're like, oh, what do I do? Oh. And so the thing about scarcity, the question that you're going to want to ask yourself when you're in scarcity is what do I do? Well, that question is probably the absolute worst thing that you could really be answering for yourself because the decisions that we make from a place of scarcity generally just create more scarcity. It's like jam hands. You ever, maybe your listeners have ever had small children or no small children. And they're just like sticky. And you're like, why are you sticky? And like, we were, just, we were just clean. And they're like, yeah, well, okay, now everything that I love is sticky. And you're like, don't touch the stop. Just stay still for just a second and then we can clean you up. And that's basic. So before you go touching your life, when you're in that scarcity jam hands moment, that's the place where you want to manage yourself. And so the thing about scarcity is scarcity, you know, some of like an acute scarcity, one of the things that you can do is raise your heart rate up for like 90 seconds. You could do like a hundred squats, a handful of jumping jacks, take a, you know, run around your house a few times but what that does is it tells your, because your body's like fight or flight. And so all of that energy that comes with a full on fight or flight, if you're just trying to, you know, manage a bank account through that, there's a lot of that kind of like anxious, you know, you'll feel anxious. You'll feel like that fear. So if you raise your heart rate up, it tells your body that you've either done the flight or the fight, and then your body can kind of pull back down and your prefrontal cortex, that's the signal that your prefrontal cortex can come back online. Because when you're in that amygdala place, the the way that your body conserves energy is it shuts down your prefrontal cortex, which does all like the big thinking. So it's like, oh, I have this big problem I need to solve. And it's like, but you got no brain power because your body's like ready to go hunt a deer and kill it for dinner because it's starving. And you're like, none of this makes any sense, body. And your body's like, well, I don't know. You're the one that's telling me where we're about to starve to death. And so that's that's like in an acute situation. Scarcity as a mindset is something that can can be reprogrammed to an extent. Like you're never going to get rid of it, but you can certainly train yourself to see abundance. You can train yourself to to see abundance in the world. Like um, and be like a gratitude practice is something that really helps with scarcity. But that is a long term strategy that's really not appropriate if you're like in that fight or flight response. So like if George was in full full emotional tilt. Yeah. If I was coaching him, that would probably wouldn't be the time that I'd be like, you know what, you need to do a gratitude practice. That gratitude practice is great to do like first thing in the morning when you're waking up and you're you're just basically taking your focus and you're just tuning it to the to the place of happiness. So gratitude is the vibration. Like if you're talking about law of attraction, it's a vibration of happiness. Like it's 
So it's like, I have this. And when we have stuff, we kind of simmer down. We feel good in that. There's a, there's a warm kind of fuzzy sensation. So gratitude practice is really great for like longer term strategies. But um, one of the things that you want to pay attention to and you want to notice is where, what scarcity looks like at lower levels. So like, for example, if I'm like a like lower level scarcity, like maybe I haven't checked my bank accounts in a couple of days and I'm not exactly sure, I'm a little unclear. So, you know, it's just like low grade taxation of like my mental resources. I'm going to be mad at my husband for no reason. That is how I know that I'm in, in scarcity. If I, if I am mad at my husband, who is honestly like the most loving, wonderful, sweet, gentle, just caring man who loves the absolute crap out of me, if I'm like, oh, Mike's the deal now. What's he doing here? I'm like, oh, I, I should probably go, I should probably go sort something out because I'm in scarcity. Because it's just like that that like mental taxation just makes me irritable. So this person who I love, like 10 out of 10, most favorite human in the world, I'm just irritated. And so then I'm like, hmm, hmm. And he still lives here, huh? <laughs> yep. And then I'm like, oh, I should probably go check my bank accounts. And so you'll find like irritability, like you get a little snappy. Well, I, these are, these are, this is me confessing my junk to you all, but you want to know what this is like at the lower levels, because that low grade scarcity, you could stay in for years unaddressed mm -hmm. if you're, um, you know, because it just kind of presents like stress, but you really want to understand what scarcity feels like. So that way you can, you know, navigate, manage yourself through it. Um, so that way you don't create more of it. Is that yeah, no, okay. it's super, super helpful. I want to put a bow on it because these are lessons that took me losing millions of dollars to learn um, because I operated in low-grade scarcity, not because of my business, but because of my life that I lived before my business, right? Like I say, entrepreneurship is the therapy you're going to get, whether you like it or not, because it's a forced lens into your entire ecosystem. But there was always this misguided belief in me that like, oh, it'll go away. Oh, it'll go away. Oh, it'll go away. But it doesn't, you learn to coexist with it. You, you build a relationship with it. And in what I'm hearing you say, and I, I think how I would summarize this is when you practice that relationship with it at the low level, you, you kind of get to control your focus and practice it a ton to where it mitigates this whole, oh, 30 days from now or 90 days from now, this massive explosion, which actually does cause bad decisions or bad choices because you can't control it. So identifying what scarcity feels like and understanding that it's basic human nature, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs that if if you start to identify where that is, where it shows up in your body, you can start to mitigate it earlier and have more practice in managing it and then having that relationship with it. So when something does happen, or you get said tax bill, or you <clears throat> are stressed about payroll, or your launch doesn't go right, or, you know, XYZ, that you have the clarity to at least come back into your body and identify what that is. Is that fair? Yeah. And uh, um, I'm going to, I'm going to just drop this nugget money mindset, the mental work of understanding, you know, limitations and overcoming poverty thinking happens way before most of us get there in our bodies. Mm -hmm. So if we can think of like emotional temperature, right? So if we were to think of the emotional temperature of poverty, in my mind, it's cold, right? It's like, it's like being in a cold room where you're, you know, and then where we want to go is a much warmer place, right? And we're not talking literal temperature here, but we're just kind of, the wealth feels very different 
than poverty does. But if we grew up in poverty or lower middle class, that temperature difference, that emotional difference is, is I so listen, I live in New England and there's this phenomenon that happens that if you're real cold and you get into a hot shower, it burns you for a second. Mm-hmm. Like if your feet are real cold, you go and you're like, I'm gonna, I'm still cold. I'm gonna go get in that hot shower. And then you're like, holy mother freaking God. And you're like, um, for those of you not on the video, I am doing a jig right now to demonstrate <laughs> the way that it goes in the shower. So you can just have that mental picture on your drive to wherever you're going. Um, and so the same thing happens with our, with us as we start to really do this. So sometimes if we are starting to, to have a life that's way different, way better than the, how we grew up, their, your body is going to freak out a little bit. And that's not an indication that anything's wrong. It's just an indication that you're growing. But while it's happening, it's going to probably feel bad, just, just so you know. So as you like balance out, like as you work on your personal development, a lot of what I see and a lot of what I've done personally is really focused on that mental, that mental capacity, that, like in the mind, changing your thought patterns, changing the way you, your perceptions. But it really like our body holds the score. Like our body has muscle memories of our whole life. So if you want to move to a very different like financial range, it's going to feel different. And so you, that's where you have to really kind of start to notice the really the sensations happening in your body. Like it's like mindset work will take you really, really far. And then you have to put it back into your body for it to really like be grounded and stay, um, stay with you. Cause your mind will be able to like wrap itself around your desires and you'll be able to control that focus, but you still have to get your body to go along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. Cause this is so true. And like, you're confessing for me as well. Luckily I'm, I'm on the other side of this just with a whole lot more responsibility now. Cause like I made a decision on a phone call yesterday that had a $5 million price tag attached to it. And I was like, right. And I was like, I remember when I used to have panic attacks over five grand and I was like, okay, so I've grown. But one of the things that I love, and it's like the undertow or the keel of what you're speaking about is that one of the things that I realized as an entrepreneur is that I spent 30 plus years of my life being programmed to think one way. And then I thought that three years of entrepreneurship was going to somehow magically make that go away. But when I was, let's call it, complacent, like unaware, right? Like not looking at numbers, not logging into my bank account, not having clarity, not paying myself, my body naturally defaulted back to my comfort zone. And my comfort zone was that like lower homeless middle class, I made $30,000 a year. Uh, But I was, it almost caused more unrest and dissonance, because I didn't know how to be with that feeling and that responsibility. And so I would come back to chaos, and I would start to break things because then I could fix it and I could uh, struggle and I could be stressed and I could not sleep. But it took me years to recognize that it was self-induced because I was actually more comfortable in tilt than I was in peace. And so this awareness that you speak about is, is huge. It's huge. And so what are some of the things that you you like advise people on? Like you, you alluded to this earlier, like, oh, if I have... <laughs> Low-level anxiety and Sedano's down. Mike Sedano's down in the basement building something, and I'm like, "Why is he in my house? Why is he here? Like, what's going on?" And you're starting to notice this. Like, what are some of the habits or rituals or practices that that you use or you help people bring awareness to, so that they can start to have this relationship and they can start to mitigate those things? 
So one of my favorite books and one of the books that I recommend to my clients all the time is a book called Existential Kink by Dr. Carolyn Elliott. And basically she teaches a practice there where you're going to, you're going to basically find like some kinky joy in these sensations that keep coming up. So I will tell you my relationship with money is a little bit just extra. It's just like a little extra because I'm in everybody's money junk all day. Um, and I, my upbringing around money was a little bit strange because I grew up in a situation that kind of felt like poverty, but like my one side of my family was incredibly, incredibly wealthy. The other side was very, very middle class. And even though growing up felt like poverty, I was very well educated. And so it wasn't the, this, like the, there was, my house felt like poverty, but it wasn't actually, I wasn't actually in poverty, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so that tilt that George was talking about is like, like when stuff, when stuff's calm, I get a little nervous, to be honest, like still, like, I'm just like, oh, it's a little weird. Um, and it's just, so existential kink, basically, it helps you to see the the subconscious patterns that are running. Because if we think about our conscious, our conscious brain, you know, this is a metaphor that I teach my clients, so I'll just teach you the whole metaphor. But when we're looking to create something, right, and we're manifesting, if, that, if that's your language around it, but when we're creating our life on purpose, which we're all doing if we're, if we're in business, we can kind of think of our conscious brain and our subconscious brain. So like, just imagine with me a big mansion, like a big, big mansion with lots of staircases, lots of creepy little outbuildings, barns and things. And, and, um, that's, that's kind of what we're working with. Well, and the Eagle guards the door of the main dining room. So in the main dining room, the lights are on, there's food being served, you know, there's chicken wings and margaritas. And that's like where most of the, you know, that's where like some of the control panel for this house is. And that's where, where we're all like dressed up and we're going to be making decisions for our lives. Well, let's say there's a hundred fragmenty bits of you in this house. Well, most of us maybe have like 12 sitting in our conscious minds. And so the other bits of us that still do have creative power are just kind of vandalizing the house because they're hearing what's going on in the conscious and they're like, wait, you want to write a New York Times bestselling book? And some other part of you is like, well, I am absolutely afraid, scared shitless to be judged here. And procrastination on writing the book. <laughs> All right. We could spill a cup of water on the computer. What else could we do? Oh, we could generate money problems so she doesn't get a ghostwriter. You know, and so that's kind of the way that the these um self-sabotage happens it's when our unconscious is kind of working towards things that are in direct conflict of our conscious mind and so when we start to look and see at our unconscious patterns and you kind of have to look at them over a long period of time or a lot of people might need like might need some coaching around this mm -hmm. that's the place where you can start to see all right well Funny thing is scarcity. Like, I, all right, I'm going to just confess this again. You guys are just my confessional. I realized last year I, would, I took my family river rafting uh, down the Colorado River. We went, we went through the Grand Canyon. And as we were going down these, like, level eight rapids, you know, like our little helmets on, I realized the level of excitement that I got doing that, I have literally had taking my payroll account down to zero. 
And then when that ha- when that hit me, I was like, oh, I like these money problems. Sometimes I create money problems and I'm like, why? Because it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Like the level of excitement that I dra- I, that I paid, I mean, we, there's four of us. We, we all got into an airplane. We all went to the Grand Canyon. We rented a car. We drove five hours to get to this place. I had to sleep in a crappy hotel to go down this river rafting place or to go, you know, to go meet the river rafting thing to do this. You know, I spent $10,000 and I dragged my family across the nation. And I'm like, and I've totally had that level of excitement. Just not having, you know, just, just running my bank accounts down to zero. I'm like, that's fascinating. Hmm. And then I realized that like scarcity is like every time scarcity shows up for me, it comes with a present. It teaches me something. I learn something. I get something out of it. And so in just kind of like seeing that and accepting that, it really helps to look at your life with a lot more amusement and and really learn to become detached from the outcome because then you kind of detangle yourself from the game you're playing with yourself if that's not too uh, deep and weird for you all. Um, but being able to get more and more fragmenty bits of yourself into the conscious mind, that's where you start to have more and more control over your your actions. That's where self-sabotage becomes less. And it's like you get more on board with yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, is that most of our big decisions are going to have some bit of internal conflict. Like, have you ever, if you've ever felt like, you know, you ever date somebody and you're like, this person is so fantastically delicious and intriguing. And I know this is a terrible idea. This is terrible. This is, this is going to end badly, but I'm taking this, I'm taking this phone call right now. Right. Have you ever had that where it's like this, this conflict or it's like, I I really want to go to the gym and be so healthy. And also I really want to drink whiskey and eat French fries and watch Netflix. Like they're, they're kind of conflicting. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's just well, as we start to see that subconscious, because the subconscious knocks at the door and then their ego's like, oh, four year old George crying. Oh, shut up. You can't come in. You're not invited to this party. Or like, oh, the, the version of Brie who loves scarcity. Oh, you can't come in. We're, we're, we're still sorting out the problems that you drummed up for us last time. And you're like, but if, if we could let that part into the discussion there'd probably be a lot less internal conflict. So that's, so I found that Carolyn Elliott's book is really about like shadow integration Mm -hmm. and it teaches a somatic practice. But I find that to be because money is so sensational because money does have these physical sensations in our body around, it's around like our sense of worthiness, around our sense of justice, around right and wrong, about fairness or unfairness, about you know, and as we grow in our businesses, this isn't necessarily financially related, but it, it totally is. It's like about being seen, about being exposed, you know, as we grow into these bigger, you know, as, as our businesses grow and that all of those risks of everything that I just said kind of come up. That's the place where, where you have to be able to handle it in your body, right? Like you can get your money mindset right, but still your body has to be able to be like, you know what, I'm going to be okay to go on TV and be seen by a zillion people for this, you know, or I'm, I'm okay to grow my audience, you know, Mm -hmm. more. 
right? Like um, for a long time, I wasn't really willing to accept criticism or being judged. And I would literally turn my Facebook ads off on the weekend because the idea that somebody was going to comment and say mean things to me was so upsetting that I just couldn't handle it seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Like I could do it. I could do it during the week, but on the weekends, I literally, like the stress in my body was so intense that I really just shut them off. I can't even deal. Yeah. And then I learned to accept that criticism and I learned to accept that judgment. And now like, well, I'm not currently running ads, but at this point I don't care. And people are like, I hate your hair. And I'm like, well, you're an idiot because I have great hair, but also <laughs> I don't care. Like, like, it, but it used to, if somebody used to say to me, oh, your hair is the worst. And that like, literally these are the levels of comments that I was, you know, and I'd be like, yeah. oh, why would they say that? I'd be stalking them on the internet, looking at their biscuit recipes, like trying, just not accepting that little nugget of criticism. Yeah. Yeah. I call them emotional pirates, right? Like, and mm-hmm. I got to realize that uh, piracy only works if I let them on my ship. And so, you know, like making sure we don't get on, but what, what I love, and, and this is, this is the undertone of everything you're saying, you know, I, it's going to be like a long-winded summary explanation, but, uh, you know, money's an amplifier and it took me a long time to learn that. And so it didn't give me anything. It just more exposed or magnified the things that were underneath it. And what you're talking about is not changing it, not fixing it, but just acknowledging the presence of that. Everybody is a butthole, right? Like scarcity is going to pop up. Your body's going to have reactions to it. Things are guaranteed to come. Like it's so funny to me, uh, now on the other side of it, but it's like, I could see the writing on the wall six months out. And then all of a sudden, when that said thing happened, I was like, my life is over. And I'm like, I saw this coming six months ago. And I pretended like the world was ending. And I had to realize that I wanted it to end because it gave me focus. And I loved that feeling. Like my wife, and I never got it. I never got it. But my wife, you've, you've met my wife. She's an incredible accountability partner for me. And she's like, you're addicted to chaos. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, what are you talking about? And she's like, oh, you mean the kid that grew up homeless and abused and fighting and then went to war three times and like thrived? And I was like, no, 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 no. And then she's like, you're you're creating it everywhere in your life. And it was because as you speak about those fragments is that there was a lack of acknowledgement that those fragments even existed. It was like a bias and a denial bias because I convinced myself that it was another way. And it wasn't until I truly fully was like, oh, wait, it's okay to have those. It's okay to acknowledge those. It actually makes me more wholesome, more complete, more grounded, but they're a part of me. And for those of you who aren't familiar with shadow work or shadow integration, Carl Jung, uh, Carolyn talks about an existential kink. It's really like my analogy, because I'm a simple man, is give them a cup of coffee and tell them to sit the fuck down. You can come in my house. You can be in my living room. I'm not going to talk to you right now, but I acknowledge that you exist. So sit on the couch. I got work to do. I can feel you. I can see you but I got things to do. And so it's, it's bringing this awareness to those parts of ourselves that, as you alluded to earlier, that end up driving the vehicle that we think we're in charge of, right? We think we're driving, but we end up in the passenger seat. And these fragments and these beliefs and these things that we pretend aren't there are like hijacking our speed bus and we got to keep it over 55. And so I, I absolutely love that. And so I would recommend that book wholeheartedly, by the way, I've read it numerous times it's an incredible book and i would recommend the practices and things along those lines as well and and i'll I'll share a story and i think you might appreciate this i I had a dear friend who just sold his company but i remember when i met him god nine years ago he was netting about a hundred grand a month and he was completely comfortable right like he was netting paying himself a hundred grand a month 
And he was completely fine. It was there. It was good. And then fast forward four years, he was netting $16 million a month. And the only thing he ever said to me is, I just want to go back to making a hundred grand a month. He was broken. He was neurotic. He was living on tilt. Like he was literally like dying because his body had no idea. He didn't have any clue on how to manage that or what was there. And it happened so fast. It almost broke him. And it all comes down to the same thing. And I think we live in a world where if you look at social media, we have this sensationalized paradigm around disconnection with money. And it creates this massive codependency instead of seeing it as a tool, it's seen as all these things that we talk about. But like financial education is not something that's prevalent. Like it's boring to some people. And so they think, oh, I'll do it when I make a million or when I make 5 million or when I make 10 million. But they fail to recognize that in order to make 1 million or in order to make 5 million and keep it, you have to do the work beforehand. Yeah. And sometimes we just, we just want to build like a wealth resonance. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the way that it kind of works is like, if you've never been taught anything about money at first, you're going to have a a tough time with books about money or understanding about money because you don't have anything for that to stick to. Yeah. And so when you first start it, everything sounds, you're like, what? Like it's, it's like gross and annoying, but then you start to then, but then you get the resonance and then it starts to other stuff starts to stick and you start to see things a little bit differently. One of the, um, I think one of the best books, starter books for somebody who's just, who's, who's like just learning, you know, money is a rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki, because there's a lot of just stories in there and they go real high level. And so it's not a lot of really nitty gritty. I mean, there's, there's enough there that you can learn something, but it's really written in a way that's pretty digestible as like a, is a, is a start to building that wealth, like resonance. But the thing about it is that, so especially too, in entrepreneurs, we're always, we're always like, we're generally optimists and we're going to be optimists and we're going to be like, at one point I'm going to make a zillion dollars this month. I'll pay everything off in one month. It's going to be the best day ever. And then we're going on vacation mm-hmm. and we kind of are always waiting for that big thing. Like that, oh, this launch is going to be the thing. And it's like, you know, if you ask somebody, well, why do you brush your teeth? Most of the time the answer you get, like, I just do, like, it's gross. Like I would feel gross to not brush my teeth. Well, that's kind of where we want to get with our savings habits because like, like your retirement savings or your, your habits, it's, it's really more of a, a habit than a thing that you're going to do in really big increments and in really big chunks. It's like, and the more that you build those savings habits around like, you know, like your retirement, your profitability, your, your ability to save for your upgrades and things that helps you to have a sense of self-trust. So that way, when the money comes in, you know that you can handle it. Mm-hmm. When we don't say like we can handle money, we end up just getting rid of it. Like we'll just, we just find reasons to get rid of it. It's, it's amazing. That's it. Uh, that, that statement should be put on a fortune cookie because like that just caused a reaction in my body to the tune of like, no, no joke, probably multiple seven figures of subconsciously draining it out because I didn't have the, let's call it the resonance or the ability or the self-trust. There was always something that I convinced myself of, like, I need this or I want that. Like my wife, thank God, my wife's a fucking goddess, but like the amount of 
hobbies that I had that I'm like, oh, I'm going to scuba dive. I do it for a month and have $25,000 worth of gear and never use it again. But I would find all of these little pockets that I could self-justify to avoid being in that feeling in my body, right? Because that's all it was. It was an escapism, right? I was like, oh, no, I can't keep this. I don't want to invest this, right? Like, no, I'll wait to brush my teeth until six months later when the dentist is like, oh, you're, all your teeth are going to rot out of your head. I'm like, oh, I'll start brushing now. And so bringing it back to this place of like intentional practice and things that we should do and things that we should focus on every single day creates that resonance and builds that self-trust to make these empowered decisions so that when it comes in, we realize that it's a tool that we can invest into our future, into our investments, into our business, into paying ourselves and having a relationship with it that isn't so fleeting because I was the same way, right? The business was tanky. I was like, oh, we'll do $5 million this launch. And I was like, oh, look at me setting myself up to fail because then it's not going to work. I'm going to go on tilt again and it gives me more of that comfort. And I'm back in chaos again and again and again. And, and truth be told, I've been sick for the last six days, like completely sick, like on in bed, everything imaginable. <clears throat> and the hardest part for me was being comfortable with doing nothing because everything was working. And I literally like I've probably cried four or five times in the last couple of days, not because I'm like, oh, the world's ending. I'm like, it's easy. It shouldn't be this easy. And there's still this level of awareness with that muscle that I still have to flex no matter what's happening on the outside. Yeah. Chaos and struggle are two patterns that definitely show up with uh, business owners quite a bit. Like somebody, I don't remember exactly who says it, but they're like, if you spend a lot of time in your business putting out fires. Oh, Alex Sharpen. You may be an, yeah. may be an arsonist. Alex Sharpen, I mean, Alex Sharpen said, yeah, he said, if, if you're constantly fighting fires, you may be the arsonist. Yeah. One, I think it was on a Facebook post yep. and I felt myself real called out there that day. I was like, oh, I think he was talking to me. How does he know me? Yeah. Yeah. But the, the fire's struggle is a very addictive, is a very addictive pattern. Like, yeah. And it's really all it is, is an emotional, is a negative or heavy emotional response we put to a task. Mm -hmm. Like, so like I could struggle writing a book. Like it could be the easiest thing ever. I could struggle writing this this email or, you know, doing these these things. It's just basically like the difference between struggle and ease is how you feel about the thing that you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, but when we when stuff was hard for you, like in your childhood, when there was a lot of just like, I don't know, anything difficult, sometimes when stuff is easy, it, it seems like like a lie. Like it couldn't, like it couldn't totally being that easy and so if that's something that feels like if that if that easiness is something that you don't have the resonance for because you grew up in difficulty then it, what we do is we just create things to make it more difficult and which is where in our it's, it's why like that sh like that shadow integration or that somatic body practice like learning to understand what's going on in your body is really important when it comes to money because you can affirm all day, like, I am the eternal flood of abundance. <laughs> and you could really, like, get there in your mind and your body will be like, but that was easy and that scares the absolute crap out of me. And then your subconscious is like, you know what we should do? If we just was to, if we just got our book of matches and we just right underneath that curtain right there, we could just set a small fire and no, no really no damage will be done, but like, but then we'll be back to the the place that we're at, which is everything's hard because your mind just loves what's familiar. Yep. And so 
uh, we're all doing this to have a better life, right? Like nobody went into business to be like, you know what? I want this to suck way worse than everything else. No, we're like, I want something way better, mm-hmm. which is really like a dangerous place to be inside your brain because your brain wants to know that it can survive and it already knows how to survive in something hard. So now you now you have to learn how to survive something easy, which sounds like a real first world problem. And I guess it is. But so, this is this is the work. It's like, how good am I willing to let this be is like a question you have to really ask yourself, which is kind of an annoying question, to be totally honest, because you're like, I want it to be so good. But your body is like, absolutely not. We want to set fires to things. I love it. Not so, literal fires. No, no, I got you. And I love that question. Like, how good am I going to let this be? And that 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 question alone carries so much restraint and bringing awareness to like things are easy. Well, let's keep them easy. Like, what would it take for me? Like, where is this showing up in my body? Like, what questions can I ask differently? How can I communicate differently? And 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 I think bringing this awareness, like this thing that I've heard is the 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 carry through of a lot of this is, is really bringing this bodily awareness to how these things show up in your life, because money's not going away. It's always going to be a tool. It's, it's what we're driven off of. But the better you can relate to it, and how you respond to it, how you react to it, where it shows up, the more awareness you have around that, the more of an empowered position you are in to make sound decisions that empower you to create the results that you want. Yeah, I really think that money's like a mirror that reflects your relationship with yourself. So where you talked about money really being an amplifier, and that's that's totally true. So the more money you have, like the louder that amplifying is. So if if you have a little bit of chaos and you're broke, well, you can't get into too, too much trouble. You start having access to seven figures of money, you can make a way bigger mess. Like you can make a way bigger mess with bigger money. And so that... You know, and so like where George gave enough of his example to just kind of reflect back. So it's like if that chaos is there and it's in you, well, you're going to have the money and then the, then you can use the money to make the mess. And the money is going to reflect back to your relationship with yourself. And so as we grow and expand in our businesses, I really find that like money is such a spiritual and like personal growth game because you have to be able to tolerate all of this energy, like all of this like potential to do whatever, you know, to build the life of whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But you have to get like your little human existential meat suit to be able to to play this game with you. And the whole time you're scaring the crap out of yourself. So it's like that money just kind of shows you um, all the things about yourself that you probably didn't see, but money yeah. will reflect it back to you. I love that. I love that. And you know what? I think I'm going to wrap with that one. Brie, we're going to have to do round two because I want, this is what I want to happen. So for everybody listening to this, uh, we're going to give you Brie's Instagram in a minute and you're going to have mine, but I want you guys to message us like your biggest takeaway and whatever questions you have, because I want to bring you back for like round two, because I feel like we set this like 30,000 foot view container of like shifting paradigm and possibility and i want people to hit us with some specifics of like well what about this and how do i do this and what are three ways to do this and well somebody gave me this and i do have one question because i love this what is like the worst uh perpetuated financial advice that you see constantly spread around that is given to entrepreneurs that is given to entrepreneurs Really, really, I feel like the worst advice that comes 
financially to entrepreneurs is in the, it comes from the marketing world. And yeah. it's just like, top line, spend it on ads, scale faster, scale faster. Like, like you can grow and it doesn't necessarily, like, listen, in the, in the biggest scheme of life, when we when you're an entrepreneur, you're already moving real fast. When you try to scale and grow before your mind has a chance to wrap around it, before your body's on board, and really before you, you know, like that constricted place of scarcity, um, it, it, it maybe it it could maybe be easier. It's maybe a really hard way to go that road, and it, it's there's potential for disaster. So I think the worst advice is really around chasing that top line revenue and really growing, really growing before your business is all the way ready to mm-hmm. like a lot of, I see a lot of my clients have like these really like skinny string bean businesses that are like almost like a house of cards where it's like, you want to scale, but your business, you're not even paying yourself. So like your, if your business is on like, like still thriving off of free labor, what are, why are, we're not going to get another person to work for free. So if we just grow it bigger, just the way it is, what are exactly are we accomplishing here? So I think that's it. It's more of just like the speed of scale. I, I would, I would resonate that one all day because all you do is end up scaling the same leaks in the bucket, except it exacerbates the wound all day. Yeah. Yeah, and to, I mean, to be fair, I've totally played that game. Oh, me too. It was a, it was uh, a fun time. I it's think we're both speaking time. from like massive amounts of experience here and and try to save some of those lessons that are there because, and I'll, I'll wrap with this. I, I know plenty of people that do three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000 a year that come to me and they're like, I want to scale. And I start asking why. And the why perspective lets them realize that they can pay themselves more, that they actually have more profit, that they can have the lifestyle that they want to have without the quote unquote label of a seven figure business. And when you really get down into it, they're like, oh, I want more freedom. I'm like, well, you have the ability to do that now. And it starts to collapse that broken paradigm that marketing exacerbates so well, because here's what I tell people, the ones that are telling you to scale faster have you paying them to build their business and they're not building their business the same way they're teaching you. They're selling information to make you a liability and create codependency on them so that you keep paying them and you're the one that's struggling because they're out posting their jets and living in their life. And so I love that advice. I will take it there. So Bree, I want everybody to slide into your DMs because I know you love that game. And so will you give everybody your Instagram, tell them how to slide into your DMs? Sure, I'm at Sheep to Shark. I'm at Ship to Shark on Facebook and all the all the places you can find me on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Instagram's probably the best place though. That's when we make the reels. Um, and those are always a fun time. And um, if you do happen to see one, if you could really like it, because I don't because because I because I need that for a little bit of validation for myself. Um, please. That's that was true. That's true confession. Sometimes they're very good though. They are they are very good. And I love Brie. Brie has been in my mastermind. She's been in my world forever. She is a dear friend who I I love wholeheartedly and everything that comes out of my mouth either entertains me or educates me. So I'm gonna make a glowing recommendation to go follow her, go slide into her DMs. And uh let's do round two. You game for round two? Yes, I would love to. I okay. love being on a podcast. Sweet. We will do round two. So uh, for everybody, I'm going to wrap it here. We're going to land this plane. Uh, I have about two pages of notes just from the wisdom that you dropped already. And so make sure you get out a pen, you listen again, and most importantly, 
Take one thing from the episode and put it into practice today. Don't wait. Don't let it become shelf help. Don't wait till the dentist is like your teeth are rotting out. Find a practice, read a book, pick one up, start bringing awareness to your body, to your scarcity and the things that are there. And so Brie, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being here, breaking my sixth spell and getting me to record again. So I feel great. And it was an absolute blast. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. All right, for everybody, that is it for today's episode. So we are about to cue the outro. So always remember that relationships beat algorithms. So we will either see you in the next episode or you will hear me in your earballs. But either way, we're out. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mind of George show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.